This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. I am here with Jeff from Martial Art. How are you doing? Not too bad. Thanks for having me on, Rob. So, uh, is um, it Robert, uh, before, actually, before we get begin, I apologize. Robert, Bob, Rob, what do you normally go with? The honest story is I couldn't possibly give a shit what anybody calls me. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where, like, I try so hard to get people's names right, and I try to get pronunciations correct. But, when but you it, don't like, give a I shit about your own. No, I've had people come up to me at trade shows and be like, oh, man, you're Dave from Retro RGB. Thank you. You've saved me so much money. And I'm like, it's Bob, but you call me whatever you want if you're going to throw a compliment my way. So, yeah, I just – it's Bob, but I, like I, I really don't care. So, okay. Yeah. Oh, but, okay. Um, Bob. Yes. Sorry, sorry so, about uh, that. We just started the recording there. but All good. And uh, it unfortunately seems like this one's going to be very laggy today. Uh, lag is the bane of my existence both in gaming, developing, and in doing these – uh, interviews so uh whoever's listening is going to have to bear with us we're gonna there's going to be long pauses we're going to talk over each other but I, I can't imagine people are not used to that by now so um but if you wouldn't mind just starting us out just uh could you just give us the quick blurb on who you are and uh and maybe a little bit about your background and then we could definitely go from there and because this is uh, an evening recording i'm cracking a beer <laughs> sounds good cheers so, yeah uh so my name is jeff uh some people know me as a chiptune artist. Uh, I do original music under the name JMR. Uh, I also am a member of the band Martial Art. Uh, we do a sort of a hybrid chiptune, prog rock, uh, post rock, original and VGM covers. We're kind of like a bit of everything in one giant melting pot. Uh, and uh, in the past couple of years, I've uh, kind of made a name for myself doing soundtrack recordings for uh, uh, video game soundtrack vinyl releases. Uh, so I've been sourcing hardware audio for a, a good number of uh, soundtrack releases that have come out in the past couple of years. So I have so many questions about all of those things, but let's just dive right into the meat and potatoes and then we'll back out again later on. But um, what are some of the releases that you've worked on and uh, and the stores that they've been sold through? If you just want to pick like a random couple to start us out. All right. Uh so the majority of the work that I've done has been for the Ship to Shore Phonoco record label. Uh, I've done quite a few of their releases, actually. Uh, I've done recently Breath of Fire 1 and 2 for the SNES, uh, Bomberman 1 and 2, and uh, Bomberman Hero, as well as a number of uh, future 
Bomberman titles that haven't been officially announced yet. Uh, I've done uh, the classic fantasy, uh, fantasy Star game, so one through four for Master System and Genesis. Uh, I've done Sparkster for the Genesis. I'm just trying to make sure that I don't name anything that I'm not supposed to talk about yet. And uh, <laughs> my uh, my personal favorite for that I've done for Ship to Shore has been uh, the soundtrack for the Famicom game Gimmick. Uh, it's personal favorite score of mine. So I'm really proud to have been involved with that release. Um, so I've also done um, work. I've also mm-hmm. done work for another label called uh, Streaming Arrow Records. Um, that was a, a PC ninety eight, uh, sorry PC eighty eight soundtrack uh, from a game called uh, Dragon Slayer: Legend of Heroes. Uh, that one was a bit of a collaborative effort with another guy because I don't actually own a PC-88, but uh, I've been involved with uh, a few releases there. And I've also got work coming out with another label called uh, Very Okay Vinyl, uh, which should be announced uh, in uh, the next couple weeks, couple months. I mean, vinyl record turnaround times are uh, inconsistent at best lately. Uh, So the gimmick one, I think, is the perfect one to start with because I think... Uh, if you if you are listening to this and you don't know what that is, that was and, and please correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but that was a Famicom game that used a special chip, an, an additional chip on the board from the cartridge, not on the Famicom, to generate audio, and that was an interesting one for a while because emulation didn't always get it right, ROM carts for a while didn't get it right, Cricks eventually worked his butt off and I think got it, but. Um, and then on top of that, you have to use a system that has the Famicom audio enabled. <laughs> and then you also have to go through the whole discussion of what is the quote unquote right way to hear that. Is it just the original release? Is it another? And this is one that I've, you know, I've argued with Ace about. And I mean that with love, obviously. And, you know, I had had lots of discussions and analysis with Artemio and the MD4EA team. So how did you even start? getting the soundtrack from that game and if you say you downloaded it off of youtube i'm gonna shut this off right now i'm kidding i watched your whole talk i love it (laughs) so so first thing for most of my project usually begins with research like i usually like look into okay what existing recordings are out there has anybody else done an existing famicom recording or anything that i can use as a reference um so this is before i even had a copy of the game to work with myself uh I wanted to see if the hardware itself was capable of producing an audio recording, you know, suitable for a record release. Like, so, like you, you need to make sure that you're working with a baseline standard. And if I buy a copy of the, the, the cartridge and the audio out of the, 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 the Sunsoft 5B chip is just noisy and distorted and whatnot out of the gate, <sighs> you don't really want to consider that as a source, right? Especially right. for what's supposed to be a high quality soundtrack release. Uh, so I found a recording by uh, a guy named Brad Smith, a.k.a. Rain Warrior, who is uh, pretty well known in the uh, NES dev circles. And uh, he's a video game developer and a music musician himself. Uh, he had done a reference recording using his own Famicom hardware. Uh, I found a copy of that online, used that as a reference, and said, okay, you can get passable audio, but there's a decent amount of buzz there. Mm. Can I do anything about that? <laughs> it was a bit of a gamble. So I, I, in the end, I, I said, I'll, I'll buy the cartridge. Spent you know $500 on eBay, imported one from Japan. Uh, Gimmick is not a cheap game <laughs> if you're not familiar with it. No. Uh, it, it is a, a late Famicom game and uh, produced in s- relatively small numbers compared to the rest of the library. And because of the Sunsoft 5B chip, it's not one that can be easily reproduced using... Uh, 
you know, like clone hardware. Like there isn't a Sunsoft 5B knockoff that exists. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. It's a discreet chip. Uh, right, and it's not, and it's not something that exists in uh, games that you can harvest from. Right, there's only a handful of games that actually have the right variation of the chip to uh, mm. pull from. Uh, so yeah, um, buy the copy of the game, and immediately, like within hours of getting it and testing it out, I'm like, okay, I'm hearing buzz and interference here. I need to see what's inside of this thing. Crack it open. Uh, Trace out the audio path because uh, if you're not familiar with the family, well, can I just pause for one very quick second here? Um, when you say you found buzz and interference, yes. Uh, now you're t- you're talking about a Famicom setup that you already had, and you're yes, playing correct. other games through it without buzz and interference. That's correct. So this one game is introduced, and you went, okay, what's different about this cartridge? I- exactly. Yeah. So, like, I, I typically okay. work with a modified North American NES. Uh, mm-hmm. and the corresponding adapter boards that you need to run a Famicom game. Uh, I've, I've put a lot of effort into modifying and improving the audio quality out of this nest. It's actually the one that I use uh, for live performances and recordings for my band's work, uh, for the chiptune elements mm-hmm. in, our, in our music. So I've, I've already got the hardware that is prepared. It's already got a relatively clean output, uh, about as good as you can get without, you know, like drastic, drastic modifications. And also while sticking with the original hardware, because like, I mean, we could get into the topic of like FPGA hardware creation, recreations, and that's a whole different rabbit hole to dive into. Uh, but yeah, the, you're right. This one game produced uh, an exceptionally noisy sound that running a, a, an average Famicom game would, would not, right? Like running a stock NES game would not. So if you're not familiar with mm-hmm. the, the Famicom audio path, uh, on a normal Japanese Famicom, the audio is from the 2AO3 CPU, APU chip, uh, gets passed through the cartridge connector up into the cartridge where it will either get passed right back down into the system with a, with a normal card, or if you've got uh, an expansion audio chip, such as uh, games like Gimmick or uh, like Castlevania 3 uh, is a, probably, a, probably the best known example for a lot of people. But uh, they, it will have a mixer circuit that will combine that audio feed with the signal from the onboard chip, pass that back into the console, which will pass through you know, the RF modulator or whatever the output is on a stock Famicom. Uh, so something in the on-cart audio path between that input pin, the mixer circuit, and the output was generating a lot of noise. Uh, so something that I, I, I didn't know this until I actually got the cart, cracked it open, kind of reverse engineered it myself. The, the Sunsoft 5B chip actually has an internal audio amplifier into it. Uh, inside of the chip it's actually embedded within that that mapper chip so it takes the mixed audio signals amplifies it and spits it back out now 
amplifying audio is is not problematic in itself but when you're amplifying it in the same chip that has you know like all, all of your cartridge data but like running through it as well noise gets coupled in all the time i mean you can do things to improve it by like adding in a few extra decoupling caps and stuff like that but for the sake of this recording project i ended up just bypassing it all together and that makes taking, sense because you know yeah. That's one of those things, like from a nerd point of view, right? And uh, people smarter than me are going to roll their eyes, but that's fine. I'm doing my best here. But <laughs> for, from a nerd point of view, when you take something like an audio amplifier and you run that, you know, even a tiny little one on a chip and you run that through an existing circuit that has resistance on it that already has a pathway, anything that's variance, any variance will change the sound. Now, that might in most cases it would probably just change the sound like you might get some more hum maybe there's a higher you know like a, a higher frequencies pass through because everybody's got to remember that these things were all built with five percent tolerance components or higher yep. because back when they were made it would have been very stupid to use yep. you know to to jack the price of these things up by five bucks each when they exactly. sold millions yeah. would mean you'd lose millions of dollars for a sound filtering that nobody would have been able to hear through their TVs back then. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, You're, yeah. Like the, the audio amplifier that's in this and the, and the circuitry that's in this is going to be built with the, the bottom dollar components because, I mean, you're expected to produce these things in mass quantities, and the average person playing this is going to be running it through, like, the noisiest family combat through the RF modulator into the, like, the, like, the, the shittiest sounding TV that exists, right? Like you're not expecting yep. audio audiophile quality out of these things. Uh, so, yeah, it absolutely makes complete sense to bypass like the the audio amplifier that's on there because it it, it doesn't serve its purpose for this, right? Uh, and now mm -hmm. like, you could get into like a preservation aspect of it, right? Like if you were if you were say working on like a, a an audio emulator, like if you want to work on like creating the most accurate NES emulator to play back the soundtrack. Yeah, you care about that. You want to emulate the characteristics of that audio of that audio path, so that people who are playing in like my, in on a computer or on like a like a on like a Mister or like any other emulation platform uh, that that exists, like you want to have the at least the option of playing back the audio the way it would have sounded. But that's not what I'm trying to do. Like, I'm trying to create what is going to be a a an album that is going to be meant to be enjoyed for both the music itself, but also the audio quality. Mm. I don't necessarily want to recreate are you this in, Are you in the MD Fourier Discord? Because you sound like one of us. <laughs> you sound 100% <laughs> like one of us. <laughs> I, I, I am not. I, I, I am a, a very, uh, I'm very much an admirer of the work that's being done there. Uh, but uh, That's funny. Yeah, yeah. You, should, you might as well join because you're already part of the team and you don't even know it yet. So I, I, send me uh, send me the Discord invite after this because Absolutely. yeah, like, I I I feel like I would find a bunch of like minded people in there. A hundred percent, yes. Um. So, uh, in did you know when you started it what formats it would be landing on? Did you know it was going to be vinyl, cassette, CD, digital, or whatever else it was? Uh. Usually, I'm kind of I'm told that up front. There's always a possibility that could change, though. The thing is, the work that I do is very much agnostic of the format that it ends up on. Um, mm -hmm. I don't handle the actual mastering components of it. I usually just work on providing you know the best quality source for whatever mastering engineer that comes down the road to to work on. 
so the recordings I do could end up on a CD, could end up on a vinyl, could up on, end up on a cassette, could end up on a digital download. Like, I, but I, I, the work I do is uh, meant to be of sufficient high quality, and it's up to whatever label is putting it out to choose whatever format it ends up on. Uh, I don't generally have a say in it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm quite happy to do the work for whatever format <laughs> any label wants to put out the music on. Um, that being said, I, I will say that I have noticed that a disproportionate amount of my work has ended up on vinyl and only vinyl, which I do realize is not exactly, uh, it doesn't ap- appeal to everybody. It's a kind of like a collector's item for some people. And I mean, it's, I mean, it's inherently a flawed medium, but anyway, that's a whole, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. We'll, we'll swing back around to that one. Um, but what equipment do you use when you're to, to record this stuff to your PC and what format do you record it in? Uh, I typically use a, uh, a Scarlett 18i8. Uh, it's an audio interface mm-hmm. that I bought okay. a handful of years ago for uh, my work with the band. Uh, it's got uh, pretty high quality. Uh, I, I would say entry level pro. Uh, it's, it's not top of the line by any means. Uh, it's so- absolutely fine for MD Fourier. It's excellent for music recording. I owned one yep. of those and a couple of the others. Uh, afterwards, I'll I'll hook you up with a, a, a slightly better one for the purposes of what you're trying to do. <laughs> but uh, what you've used is absolutely fine. Zero yep. complaints. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll upgrade you by the time this is over. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Cause I've actually, I've actually, this is one of the things I've been considering. Like, do I want to look into something like a, like a reference grade audio capture setup? Um, yes, but you do not need to spend a lot of money. That is the one yeah. thing when anybody, anytime anybody yeah. talks about audio, it's like, Oh, well, I don't have a couple of grand. You don't yeah. need that. Uh, well, that, that's, that's so. something I, that's something I've been researching myself. I, I found uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a package uh, that was being sold, kind of as like almost like a DIY kit, where it was like a a like a reference grade preamp going into some sort of I2S interface, and that from that into a SP diff, which I which I would feed into whatever device I've got. Uh, but it, it was some some combination of hardware like that that I was looking into getting. Uh, so that's what I would use for recording what I would call like your analog sources. In so that which would be, operating system were you running when you were capturing this stuff? Uh, I typically use an old uh, isolated Windows 7 box. Smart. Are uh, you sure you're not on the freaking <laughs> MD4EA Discord? <laughs> well, uh, th- this is all stuff that I've kind of learned through trial and error. Uh, like mm. this is not this is not something that like I, I've picked up by reading somewhere like I, i've i've been doing this for a handful of years and i've been doing like audio recording work for much mm-hmm. longer than this in general so like i kind of have i guess a a workflow that i'm used to and what i've yeah. kind of worked so for over anybody years. i'll skip to the end on this one windows <laughs> uh eight i don't know why anybody would use that uh 10 and 11 all their native audio adds noise to the signal and it's not something that's perceptible by the human ear, but it absolutely would be something that would start to change things like audio analysis, might affect mastering at the end type of thing. Uh, so that's, you know, it, it, there are workarounds, but using yeah. Windows 7, using a very specific version of the Linux kernel with the newest audio processing, I'm not smart enough to explain that, but there's going to be a, a beta build out there for people to test soon. <laughs> and uh, and Max actually... So far, so good. I haven't tested the uh, the M ones, but up to the Intel ones, so far have been good as well. But yeah, that was a that was something that we 
battled with. Like, why am I not getting the same reading as you? And that's why it was we figured out huh. you have to back. I think it was our team that figured out you're going to back down to Windows 7 unless you so, go some crazy workaround. So, so, so that, that that's that's fascinating that we, we've got like people who have independently discovered like basically the same thing. Cause I, I I've run into issues. Like I, I have a, a windows 10 laptop that I kind of use for like my portable rig, whatever. And mm-hmm. I, I find that the, the recording quality that I get out of it isn't like there, there's, I, I can't remember if I've ever actually quantified it, but I, I just was like, this doesn't quite sound the same. And, and I've, I mean, like for me, it was mostly a, like a, a latency thing that was, that was bugging me, but, yeah. So yeah, that's what I would. So anyway, going, circling back, the Scarlet interface is what I would use for the uh, for like what I would call an analog source recording. So that would be like your NAS, your Genesis, um, so on. Uh, for digital recordings, I, I try to get things down to an SB diff signal that I can feed into. It's actually an old Sound Blaster PCIe card that I, I've yeah. I've acquired. I mean, when you're dealing with uh, SB diff and digital signals, I mean you have to worry about like making sure that you're clocking reliably. But other than that, like it's it's relatively foolproof i mean i got i now i could be showing the shortcomings of my knowledge here but <laughs> no it sounds like you're spot on because uh the when the hardware was built doesn't seem to make the slightest bit of a difference it's it's the components used and it's the drivers there's a there's a lot that goes into it to, to the point where you know we could probably do a three-hour podcast on just that <laughs> and not even cover all of it so that's why when when the last few bits are smoothed out i'm just going to do one of my in-depth videos and be like look if you don't believe me talk to these smarter people but here's the solution so <laughs> <laughs> but all right so that uh so and then you save it in wave flack uh 24 uh, bit 16 bit you know you usually keep things as wave for for convenience and uh Wave with like an MD5 checksum file is, is what I typically hand off to a, to a label. Uh, and I typically record at, uh, it's usually 24-bit and 192 kilohertz. I mean, it depends on, depends on what sources I'm working with, right? Sometimes there's like no sense of recording that because there's no audio data in those frequency bands anyway. But mm. it, it, it's one of the things that I, I choose depending on the, uh, like the sources that I'm working with. Obviously, if I'm doing a digital recording, I'm just going to pass it off as whatever whatever sample rate and bit rate that I get the output from, right? Like, yeah, I, I, I typically don't do like do I do very little post processing, so there's no real benefit to like pumping it up to a to a higher bit rate format. It's only only inflating the file size, right? Right. I you know the way I've been approaching this is with digital audio. It's I try to match exactly what it was. And exactly. With analog audio, I do exactly what you do: twenty-four bit, you know, one ninety-two k, and I, I do that just because that's the highest format you could record to. But that doesn't change because it's analog; it doesn't change the signal. So, yep. like, you know, how could I make it easy? So, imagine like you're afraid that like the tunnel that you're about to drive through isn't going to be big enough. Like, so you pick the giant tunnel, even though the original one was actually totally the same size. Might as well just drive through the big, bigger tunnel, so you don't even have to worry. It's probably the dumbest analogy I've ever used, but it also fits perfectly. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> well, yeah. It's it's almost like a bandwidth thing, right? Right. Like you you always want to have more than you actually need. So right. like if you if in my case I have the tools and the methods to 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 record at that level, why not? Now, like uh, I I can't say for certain if it, if it stays that way, but it gets handed off for mastering because again I'm not the one who handles that. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, like I said, I know the work that I do. At least I, I keep it as close to the source as possible, and I record at like as high as quality as my equipment can suffer. 
and that's generally what I would deliver to the record label, and they they hand it off from there. And uh, Ship to Shore is a company that I, I hadn't really heard of till recently, till one of our contributors, Crystal, was started to write a lot of uh, articles about pre-orders for vinyl and stuff through there. Yeah. And I, I kind of actually having more contributors start to talk about vinyl really got me into do the deep dive. And there are, are companies <laughs> out there that absolutely go i mean they they do what you do they bend over backwards to make sure that you're getting a very good recording and there are other companies that uh yeah i mean just like the talk that you gave they probably just downloaded something off of youtube slapped it on a cassette or vinyl and then sold it at a premium you know and it's um I would be shocked if anything has ever been sourced from YouTube or piracy. Uh, I, I pirated that, that was more of me just being but, an but, asshole, but, but, but same, but, same but the same principle. They, they take the yeah. sort like the easiest available source that is legitimate. Uh, and often cases it's uh, audio that has been provided to them by like the rights holder. Uh, Konami is, uh, is, uh, <laughs> is a known, Mixed bag, we'll say, because a lot like they yeah. they have some good past album releases and some some ones that make you shake your head. Um, so yeah, yeah, there are labels that don't put in the due diligence. Um, so yeah. So what's it like to work with Ship to Shore? Are they, you know, they're a good company. You know, they they pay you properly for your time and all that stuff. Oh, and... absolutely. I've got nothing but high, the highest of praise for uh, Aaron yeah. and the four folks at Ship to Shore. Uh, they're they're super passionate about this stuff. Like uh, they they care and appreciate like the work that I put in. Uh, they care about like getting the audio right. Now I I will say that like, some of their past releases are uh, like, before I got involved have been uh, you know the same sort of thing where they get sourced from the audio that was provided to them. Uh, their Lagrange Point Lagrange Point. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Their their release for that was was sourced from uh, emulator audio, I believe, and uh, I'm not sure how I'm not sure how familiar you are with the VRC seven chip, but that's only something that really got accurately emulated within the past you know five years or so, mm-hmm. um, well before or well after the record release. So yeah, their their past releases have been you know some somewhat inconsistent, but since like since I've been working with them, they've put in a lot of care and a lot of effort into getting at least the audio work right, in my opinion. Uh, and yeah, in terms of like how easy they are to work with, yeah, they're great, and they're like they're super passionate. And they're big, they're pretty big nerds about this. Like Aaron and I will be chatting about like game soundtracks that that we would like love to release, and things that are just like completely outside of the, the realm of possibility of ever been able, being able to license. Uh, That's awesome. Will, uh, yeah, like he's as passionate about the video game music and just like interesting music in general. Uh, and, he's, and he's just a really hear. fun dude to talk to. I mean, I got to just uh, bluntly draw my line in the sand here. I care what people are doing now for the most part. I mean, there's always yeah. that one fringe case where somebody did something in the past where you're like, you probably should never yeah. even talk to that person again. But for the most part, I care what people are doing now. And we're all humans. So yeah, no, that's the thing. how would you know that you needed to do this until you failed first? Like, you, no, no. no one walks into these things with a million dollar budget going, I'm going to pay somebody to get me the best video game recording. It's like... <laughs> No, like I got a relationship with this company. I got a relationship with that company. I love this stuff. Let's see if I can make it happen. And it's the people who take feedback, learn from that and grow are the people that we all want more of. And the people that are like, "Uh oh, it's officially sourced from Konami. So you're wrong. Those are the people (laughs) I have no time. And that's that's something that I I have to say. 
a lot of the labels who have you know made the missteps that, that I, I highlighted in my panel. Uh, there, there's one or two that I that I I talk about in the panel that haven't really improved their game in some ways. They've kind of made a series of missteps. But uh, I one of the releases I talked about was the Castlevania release by Mondo. Uh, they haven't repressed Castlevania one yet. Um, I don't know if they have any plans to. But the feedback that they got for the Castlevania one release led to them sourcing new audio for their two and three final releases uh i have a feeling that if uh no one if, if no one had complained if they hadn't had the backlash that they had uh two and three would have had the audio source from that same castlevania cd that came out in 1990 uh, yeah they they stepped up their game they they made the improvements necessary for their future releases so yeah to the point that you were making yeah like they they have stepped up their game and yeah, if you if you care about what most of these labels are doing here in the now, ignoring their past releases, yeah, most of the labels that are out there are doing pretty good work. I'm really happy to hear that because I just you know dipping my toe in the music business, which is exactly like the YouTube scene, by the way, behind the scenes. It's like you know I could very easily imagine a scenario where a company like this would be like, oh, so you're able to get the audio? Well, you know. We'll put your band's name on the recording if you do the work for us. And, you know, <laughs> we're an official label, so you'll get some free promotion. You know, basically, as they just use you and pay you nothing. So, another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, well, it's funny you say that because Ship to Shore did put out my band's first album on vinyl a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But no, going back to your question, yeah, they, they do actually pay me for the individual work that I've, I've done for their other releases. So... Yeah, like there's, like, yeah, we do have a, a friendly relationship. We do, do kind of do favors for each other at times, but yeah, like they're, yeah, totally different, totally different, to- totally different, right? It's, it's not like they're, they're they didn't do this as a way of getting out of paying me. Put it that way. Yeah, it's um, you know, I, I miss playing live so much, and I miss, I, I even miss the bad gigs where like we'd <laughs> open for another band, and you know, people would be like, "This isn't the band we went to see," and like everybody <laughs> would leave, but like. 20, 30 people would come back and be like, holy shit, the fat guy could play. Look at that. Like, so, <laughs> like, I loved those. Those are great. But I don't miss any of the behind the scenes stuff. I don't miss any of the drama. I don't miss the shitty promoters trying to scam <laughs> you out of money. We had a drummer that was a little unhinged and the promoter was <laughs> freaking out because he didn't have enough people show up and he was charging everybody cover and he charged the drummer cover. <laughs> On the that's day a, a that the up. drummer had like a severe like like I mean I can't there's no other way to say it. he had the turbo shits all night long. It's just running <laughs> back. And if it were any other night, he probably would have thrown the promoter in a trash can and rolled him down the street. <laughs> so it's just one of those like, oh my god, if that dude if that dude stops shitting, this guy's dead. Let's play the gig and get out of here. Like I don't miss any of that other stuff, see, unfortunately. See, I like like my band martial art is a bit like non-traditional in, in some ways because we are more of an online project than we are an in-person band. Uh, so we started off as a duo that was literally spread across the entire planet, right? Like, so I'm here in Ontario, Canada now. Uh, my bandmate for the longest time was living in Moscow, Russia. 
Nice. Uh, and so the, the number of times that we'd be able to play together were, were super few and far between, super inconsistent. And now we've actually like kind of like catamarried into a bigger band of like five or six different members from all different cities spread out over the U.S. right now. And we're still literally spread across the globe. So the, like, the number of, we don't have any fun touring stories or bad promoter, promoter stories because we've probably only played maybe like 10, 10 to 15 live shows together as an actual band, uh, which is, you know, it's, it, it makes you, makes you treasure the ones that the, the memories that you have for the shows that you have played. Right. Yeah. And I mean, but that's kind of the wonderful thing about music is there's so many different ways to absorb it. You could play it, you could play it live, you could create your own and you know, there's just, there's no wrong answer really. No, exactly. And and like with, you know, like studio grade technology being like available at affordable prices for the amateur user and like software prices coming down and stuff like that. Like the barrier to entry for all this is, is super, super low compared to where it was like two decades ago. Right. Yeah, before Even a decade ago. I started spending a lot of time on uh, retro RGB used to be a hobby. Now it's my full time thing. But for a while there, I was working a full time job, spending almost full time on the band and almost full time on retro RGB. So I was basically just balls to the wall every day. <laughs> and I almost did a whole video series on the band's YouTube channel about how we re- recorded all of our demos, because as somebody who grew up in the 90s, it's like. How I mean, I legitimately bought a $10 knockoff microphone at a trade show once, plugged that into the mic in of my uh, of my computer and put that in front of my ghetto ass amp. And that's how I recorded my guitar when I was a kid. And now for like a $99 Focusrite solo, you could plug your guitar directly in and actually use that on a real album. Yeah, like, no, we know the difference. Massively no, different. No would know that that setup was not the same thing as uh, as something you recorded in a a like proper several million dollars. Or studio. you could take that wave file if you had the money and send it to a million dollar studio to have it reamped, and it's exactly as if you were in the room. Yeah. Zero difference. Yeah. You could run the MD forty recording on it if you wanted. <laughs> like you know, like so yeah, it's it's so awesome now how people just have the ability to create music that's just not at all like it used to be, and I, I'm, exactly. I'm very it's, happy for that. Um, so what is your role in this band? Do you play other instruments and stuff like that? Or, uh, so, uh, it's kind of true, true to form. Like I, I am a nerd to heart. Like the work that I do in the band is the chip tune element. Uh, so I, I'm kind nice. of, uh, I, I handle the programming of the, 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 the Nintendo, the Game Boy, the, the Genesis, uh, that's kind of the main hardware that we've been using. Uh, and I also handle a lot of the, which model like, Genesis, uh, <laughs> uh, you're opening up a can of worms here. I actually prefer the sound of the Model 3. Uh, so Model 3, the only problem with the Model 3 is it's mono, which live yeah. doesn't matter, but well, it's I, actually I've, an excellent audio channel. I, I've modified it to have stereo output. So the one that I use for the band work has a, uh, I think it's a variant 2 mega amp, like one of the like, nice. revision tube. Uh, so that's what I use for the band output. Uh now the thing is, I, I'm, I run everything through a mixer, and like I, I apply effects to it live anyway, so it really doesn't matter. But yeah, yeah, the the Model Three does have a surprisingly good output, like a really, really no, low noise. I mean, it doesn't have that, uh, well, I guess, the ladder effect that people claim to love for the uh, the twenty six twelve variants of the chip, but uh, it's it's certainly good enough for the work that I'm doing. And plus, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the one writing the music. I'm the one who decides how it's supposed to sound. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter. hundred percent right? agree. But also uh, I would argue that 
if you really wanted to get down to it, I mean, my, my actual belief is play whatever you feel like, but yeah. if you really wanted to dig into it, whatever games were designed after the Model 2 was released were most likely designed with that sound chip in mind. Exactly. So that, uh, that's, that's kind of one of those too. things too, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we could circle back to the recording work. I've had, I've had to do some Genesis albums, um, uh, and typically what I would do is pick out a few reference tracks, record them from both setups that I have, and kind of pick and choose which one I felt sounded, you know, objectively best. And I typically would work with the label to decide uh, what one we end up using. And we've actually, like, the my Model 3 Genesis has ended up on a handful of records, so... <laughs> I, I yeah no I, I, I'm all for it, and the yeah. mega amp is excellent. Um, we based the original audio circuit from the triple bypass off of that, yeah. uh, and then that ended up evolving after MD Fourier came about. Then that evolved basically right through Artemio and that. But I mean yeah. that's you know it was pretty I, cool to see some people hear the Genesis three with a triple bypass in it yeah. like for the first time. <laughs> like that is coming out of that. Like, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like it, the 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 three the Model three has a like as a bad rap because of like the, I guess mostly not just the mono sound, but it was like left only. <laughs> I think. Yes. I, I think, so it's not even under the model mono channel on the cable. It's literally just left only. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it really doesn't do the, how, like the sound of the system justice by itself, but you, you slap in a, a, a new mixer circuit and bypass, like, like cut the right traces and do all that. Like it's, it sounds <laughs> as good as you could ever hope for. Yeah. You know, I gotta see. Maybe I'll send you one of my Genesis threes with the the last version of the triple bypass in it, and just just for fun, just to see what you, which which you prefer. If you could hear a difference, I, I do. I do find the the mega amp as it was uh, has a bit of a too harsh of a gain. Like I find it's a little bit too uh, too aggressive on it. Uh, so uh, actually, for a, a lot of the work I've done recently, I've actually ignored the amplifier and the mixer circuit altogether. I've recorded the uh the the two fm channels and the psg channel as three separate feeds and recreated the mix in post just because it's uh you know for I, what I, you're doing i almost think that might be the better answer because you yeah. obviously would have the knowledge to understand how to properly mix that this is not for the record i'm not suggesting people at home should tap into those and no, mix well, that directly into your amp but you no, know it, it makes it makes zero sense to do that for like a gaming setup right like, like right. no one is going to want to you know <laughs> digitally recreate a mix that can be done with a handful of resistors and sound you know close enough uh but for the work that i'm doing like, i mean if you're if i'm caring about the details and i've got the time and and the means to analyze it down to like the middle like like down to the, the little tiniest details takes a little bit more work but i can get a slight slightly better result that way so like that that's yeah. that's the method i've been using for the most recent stuff that i've done uh, i think the earliest release i did which was uh which was sparkster that was just the stock mega amp but i've done some work since which i can't really talk about the specific games because uh mm -hmm. titles that haven't been titles haven't been announced uh but i've been working on some uh, some pretty uh pretty well-known pretty hefty stuff lately <laughs> so uh that's awesome. I, I, I'm like, I'm itching to talk about it. Like I, I, I would really love to like give you an exclusive and say, Oh, I worked on this big release that's coming out. But I, I, unfortunately I, I'm bound by, uh, NDAs and such. Yeah, like that, makes so. sense. <laughs> 
So one of the things that I've been kind of curious about lately, because I'll skip through it very quick because anybody that follows these podcasts has heard me word vomit about this, but I have this very, very strong theory that based on lots of recent listening on this setup, that the albums from the past sound best on whatever the engineer was listening to while they were mixing it and demoing it. So like, you know, if a band is getting the mix back on cassette tape, you know, every night or every week or whatever from from the studio and they're listening to it and they're asking for changes. And then it's that's basically how they're they're pre- presenting it. And then that gets transferred to CD, transferred to something else. I've found many, many cases where people with decent ears, but not even musicians, will not only like the the cassette or vinyl better, but they'll pick out the reasons why and they've nailed it and they're not musicians. So yep. they're not nerds like us that sit here and analyze this stuff. But of course, you know, a modern recording that's designed to be listened to via MP3, throwing that on a cassette tape might make it a lot worse. So yep. one of the conversations that I've been getting into, I don't know if you're familiar with Miss Bad Lemon, but um, uh, follow her channel, loved her last album, loved every song off the last album, but she record, re- wrote and recorded it all on an Amiga, and she took the recordings directly from that. So the original recordings were technically analog, and then you download the FLAC files and they sound great, but I put that on a cassette via a Nakamichi Dragon cassette player, and it it a ghost, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that was an amazing <laughs> gift. But, uh, <laughs> but it changed some of the stuff. So some of, there's one effect that she uses on the Amiga's chip that has like a crackle sound that it sounds clearer when I listen to the FLAC version. But when I listen to it on cassette, it's it's less of a crackle and more of like an ambiance that has the rest of the stuff blend into it. It's It was so interesting. And I just... So I'm saying all that to ask, like, when you do something like an original video game recording, I imagine that you approach this from like, let me get the exact original and let, you know, it goes, it has to go through mastering. But do you know the mastering engineers? Do they take all of this stuff into account? Do they think about this stuff? You're like, you know, uh, they definitely take into account the format that the music is going to end up on. I can say that beyond the shadow of a doubt. Uh, I've heard the work uh, of the mastering engineer. I, can't, I really can't remember the names. Dietrich Schonenberg or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the guy that Ship uh, to Shore uses. I've mm. heard his work before it ends up, you know, being pressed to vinyl. I, I've heard like the, the idea that he would pass off to the pressing plant. He's very carefully and clearly considered the like the requirements and the, the the quirks of the format that it's ending up on like he's not just like slapping it through uh, a, a limiter and, and bumping up the volume and calling it a day like he's actually putting An in easy the mix vinyl plug-in <laughs> well exactly right he's it, not he's not doing like the the minimum effort like he's actually putting in the work to make it sound appropriate for the format that it's ending up on and going back to your point about you know albums produced in the era when a particular format was popular sounding best on that particular format i'm i'm a hundred percent with you mm. with the the caveat that if you go back to an unmastered recording prior prior to like so if you say if you pick out an album that was produced in the 70s and instead of taking like an lp cutting tape which is going to be what was produced to actually cut the record for from uh, and go back to a a unmastered version that is like the straight output of the mixing desk when the album was you know committed to tape finally and go back and treat that properly 
as if you were going to do a modern digital release or something like that, whether it be a CD or like a high res download or anything like that. And you, like I said, you treat it properly for that format. It can sound better. I won't say that it does. I'm saying it can. No, one of the one of the um, tests I always do for people is "Beat It" by Michael Jackson, and I have the original vinyl uh, in a very good condition, and then the the latest 24-bit mastered for iTunes version. And if you listen to both on a very good stereo, and when I say very good, it's relative. I can't afford a million dollar stereo. I could afford a couple grand that I've been saving up for my whole life, and I love it. It's good for me, but everybody has a hard time picking which they like better funny if you throw on the cd of it that's hands down everybody likes that the least but the newer version so i mean certain things kind of come out a different way and i'm starting to think that the newer they did such a i mean you know obviously there's a lot of money behind a a big name like that but i think the newer version's probably going to be better I think the difference that they're hearing is my my shitty two hundred dollar phono preamp versus you know if I bet you if I had a really nice phono preamp they might like that better. Yeah. But I mean, when you get to that level of scrutiny, it just means the new version's amazing. Whereas some of the other albums, like it's just like no, there's no no comparison. Grab the vinyl, grab the cassette, you know. So it's interesting that you mentioned specifically the the mastered for iTunes version of uh, of of uh, Thriller of of the Beat It of uh, Thriller album with beat it out sorry i'm stumbling over my words here but yeah mastering for itunes they actually have some pretty meticulous standards that they've got for in particular the loudness of uh of a mastered for itunes release so to to get that mastered for itunes little banner that shows up on the store listing they have to meet some pretty strict requirements in terms of how compressed are the audio levels uh and they're actually like like they're they they require you to have an uncompressed audio feed and uh, they probably do some sort of processing on playback to normalize that to make it kind of sound uh, like relatively the same as like you know uh, the average release coming out but i've i've noticed myself that a lot of the things that like older albums that have been released on on itunes or whatever with itunes with the with the mastered for itunes tag on it do sound surprisingly good and and in a lot of cases better than the equivalent cd releases because they've been rendered they've been mastered with much much less compression and limiting than what they would have got away with on uh, like the average cd release and i realized like i'm going to come across as like a like the biggest you know <laughs> nerd of people going like you listen to what but abba is is a, a it's going to be the weirdest example but a lot of their catalog sounds like garbage on cd for the average releases mm. because they've been compressed like i think actually if you look up on like the loudness war page on wikipedia one of their songs is the graphic that's that's pulled out and the the mastered for itunes versions of their albums all are pretty much universally considered to be the best sounding digital releases of their work yeah i totally believe that and uh you know obviously it all comes down to the mastering engineer because when i was we we ended up not mastering ours because i didn't like how the mix came out there was this whole story everybody's got a story i don't want to waste anybody's time with that one but um the person that we were going to use to master it was and i mean this with so much love but just the typical grumpy old engineer (laughs) like in all of the most wonderful ways and it was just one of those things are like you know that like they've been down the block so many times with this. They were just like, I, if you're going to use me, you need to fix this and that you need to do this. I, I do it right. And then I looked into a few other people that were basically like, yes, I know how to 
fulfill the requirements to be mastered for iTunes. And it's like, yeah, I could download the spec sheet too, buddy. That's not what I'm talking about. So yeah. it's all about the the person and, and who has the ear to do it. And I do not. No. When I start working about mixing, even dialing in a guitar tone, that for me is like, you know, first five minutes, if I can't get it, if I keep going, everything sounds the same. And then I wake up the next morning, play back the recording and go, that's terrible. What the hell was I thinking? I'm going to go back to the one I did in the first three minutes. Like, yeah, that, that, I think that's a universal thing for a lot of uh, people who like record, mix and, and master their own work. Like the number of times I've worked on a mix for my band and like, oh, this sounds great. This sounds great at like 11, 12, one in the morning and then wake up the next day, listen to it in the car or on headphones at work. And I'm just like, what was I doing? <laughs> like, this does not sound good yeah. at all. That's a, I, I think that's a, a fairly common thing for a lot of like independent music creators these days, because, well, I think listening fatigue is one thing that sets in when you're working in these late hours, but yeah, like it's so easy to like, you know, spend your time like over tweaking and over dialing and things and making things sound objectively worse when you're thinking, <laughs> making things better. Yeah, and planning on people listening on multiple formats is really hard because yeah. if you there's very few people that nail it. I certainly didn't, but um, if you do end up nailing it, you get a scenario where if you listen to it on a, a a tube amp, you know, through some old school awesome or old school style speakers, you hear different things, but it's not it's not a bad mix. It's like oh, I didn't notice that before, or you put your cell phone down on a table and it's like. Oh, huh, the baseline comes through a little more there, strangely enough. That's neat. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, it's not thumping, but I could hear, like, it's a good thing. Whereas if you don't get it right, it'll just, it might sound great on one, but terrible on another. It's maddening. I'm, that's not for me. I'm not good yeah. at that at all. No, and something like that I've noticed over the last couple of years, too, is the person who's working on the mix themselves will pick out and criticize things in their own mixes that the average listener wouldn't notice, wouldn't care about. Yeah. Even if you point it out to them, they would, they would never care about. It. And that's actually something that, like circling back again to the audio recording work. That's something that happens with the, the, the recording work that I do. Like sometimes I fuss over like the tiniest, tiniest little details that I would notice. Maybe like someone such as yourself or one of the guys in the MD4A Discord would notice. But mm. like just highlight, highlight them as an example. But like the the average person who's going to buy the album, slap it on their their Crosley Cruiser turntable, and give it a spin, they're not going to notice. They're not going to care. True. You know, I don't know if you ever heard of the band The Cockney Rejects. They're kind of like famous from England. They did the song for uh, West Ham United for a while. And um, they, uh, odd story, my friend knows them. And it was one of those things where, like, when I first started hanging out with this dude, I was like, do you really know them? Or are you just a fucking crazy person that pretends like you know a famous <laughs> band? And fast forward a couple of years later, I'm backstage at one of their shows hanging out with Mick, the guitarist. And I was just going through the process of recording the album. And I was like, I know you've recorded a bunch of famous bands. Like, man, I'm at this point now. And he's like, well, I just got to let you know, like, you're going to hear stuff that nobody else is going to hear. I went, yeah, but I'm paying for it. And he goes, you're right. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was one of those things where it's just like, you know, it's uh, he understood both sides of it because, you know, he's he's, you know the guy who does all the recordings for his band, but he also has done other bands. So it is one of those moments where it's like, I never wrote music for other people. I wrote music because those are the songs I want to listen to because I think they're fun to play on guitar. So I want it to hear, I want to hear it the way I want it to sound. So it's kind of an interesting thing. always going down that road. Um, 
So, uh, all right, we've covered, man, there's so many things I would love to talk about, but I'm trying to cover the gamut here for people we've who got are not whole, musicians. We've, we've, we've got off on so many tangents I would not have expected to go off on at the beginning of this oh, call. So this is my this is favorite a- kind of podcast. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so I, I guess what other stuff have you done that, like, you know, th- that you want to talk about that you want people to know about because it's really hard, you know, and I mean this with love and respect, right? But if somebody goes out and buys a soundtrack to their game and, you know, they love the soundtrack, they appreciate it. How many people really go through and read the notes and see who worked on it? And, I, you know, I, like I said, I'm not saying that to insult you. I'm saying that because yeah. I want people to know who you are. So, like, yeah. what other stuff have you worked on that probably a bunch of people listening to this might be like, holy shit, I have that one. I love that. So, you know. Uh, there's been a few things that I've I've worked on that, I think would surprise people that, that, that like a, an amateur fan got to work on something of this caliber. Like, like I, I was involved with the Mega Man Legends 2 soundtrack release. The uh, cassette from Ship to Shore. Cassette and vinyl, yeah. Nice. Uh, I didn't know they did both. That's right. They, yeah. they did both. Uh, I, I, unfortunately, due to a, a bit of a mix-up, I was not actually credited on the actual album art for that. Uh-huh. Uh, completely unintentional. Like, There's no bad blood or anything like that. Like, It was just like a, a, a simple slip-up kind of thing. Um, but yeah, like, I, I think that's, that's one where I feel like that that's a soundtrack that is loved by like a very passionate fan base. And I, and I want to say that I, 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 I wasn't overly familiar with the music for the game, but I actually, like, I, I had to kind of dig through and study it a bit for, for the work that I was doing. Uh, I want, like, I, I want to people to know that like we put a lot of effort into making sure that that audio was as good as you could possibly get out of that game. And it was, and it was a challenge. I actually had to work with um, a guy by the name of Squaresoft seventy four. I don't, I don't even know his real name, uh, but he, uh, he's like a bit of a like a, a legend, I guess, in the uh, in the PlayStation music ripping community. Uh, and he has extracted the music out of games with like the weirdest compression formats and and like non standard stuff. Uh, he and he was basically the only person I could find who could help me out with getting like the last few missing pieces I needed out of that soundtrack because I I, I would say about fifty percent of the game you can record the music from like in, from a gameplay scenario and it's going to be accurate. Uh, I was a- actually able to like, create my own version of the game that had the uh, all the voice acting and acting muted out, uh, which. You can't do, unfortunately, with the uh, stock version of the game. Like it has like a little uh, audio mixer that lets you adjust the level of the music and the sound effects. But turning down the sound effects doesn't turn down the voice acting. So I actually had to go in and dummy out all that audio on the game disc and do that. Uh, but that still didn't allow me to get clean recordings of everything that was in the game. So I was able to, like I said, work with uh, this particular guy, Squaresoft74, uh, and he was able to extract the audio in a format that I could work with and record. Like this was a a month long process to get the audio for this release, right? This was oh, I not, believe it. It, it wasn't as something as simple as like firing up a game and, and copying files off the Git disk and, and loading them into an audio editor. Like no, like this was months of work, like many long nights up until like one or two in the morning recording audio from a, from a janky PlayStation that I bought on Craigslist. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Well, like, I, I say that, but like I did actually, you know, like recondition it a little bit. And, like, oh, of course, in. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 that's the thing with that. Some of this, the, the beauty of this is like it doesn't really matter where you get the hardware from because if you, if you 
treat it right, if you modify it right, it's as good as as any as, as like your 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 gold and standard reference hardware would be. So, mm. but anyway, yeah, like that that's one that I, I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know from listening to it how much work went into it. Mm. Uh, there's a few more that I, again, I, I wish I could talk about where like, we'll just do another uh, one of these after they come well, out. Dude, well, yeah, so, <laughs> so there, there was a release that was originally scheduled for black Friday of this year uh, that bloomed into something bigger than I could have imagined <laughs> and took months and months and months recording multiple games. Uh, the release got delayed and pushed back to, until sometime next year. I believe it actually might be black Friday of 2023 now. So mm-hmm. when that one comes out, uh, we'll have plenty to talk about. <laughs> Let's put it that way, because that nice. was a recording. That was a recording project that spanned multiple consoles, multiple games, everything from uh, recording music from an S to extracting audio from like a Wii game and doing a proper conversions for that. So uh, when that project comes along, when that when that album is announced, and we can we can, I'm not bound by that NDA anymore. <laughs> I would love to talk about that one because it's Sweet. it's. That, that's a particular project that I'm incredibly proud of because uh, I, the, the work I did to get some of the, some of the things like some of the songs recorded was like, it was more work than I thought it was going to be. Like you, you, you think you're working with a, a particular game and a particular console that has never posed the challenge to you in the past. And, and you get to like working with it. And it was like, Oh, well, this expansion ship doesn't behave the same way that I thought it would. Oh, I can't actually get this song to play in game with this chip. What do I have? Like, what's going on? <laughs> so yeah. like there's, there's certain things that I, like, I've had to do for that particular project, which would, I, I could almost do like another five presentations talking about like the individual problems that I ran into. Like there was, it was that much of a challenge. That's um, funny. So do you so, do all your own ROM hacking then? Uh, a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, How did I'm, you learn I'm, to do that? Trial and error. Hmm. <laughs> like, I do have like some education, like like I, I one of my the courses that I did in my university years was uh, a programming course that involved writing assembly for an eighty eighty eight processor. Uh, so I, I mean I'm not unfamiliar with it, um, and I, I just kind of know enough to to be dangerous, I guess. <laughs> like I I can putz my way around with like, the average debugger that exists. Uh, um, Genesis is probably my weakest point. I had to do a little bit for Fantasy Star, but luckily there was there were uh, disassemblies that were out there that kind of made it easier to piece together what I was trying to do. Um, hmm. But yeah, like I've I, I'm kind of self taught, and, and a lot of what I've learned to do has been specifically for these projects. So, I know this is a random question, but do you speak sure. multiple languages? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I I took French oh. in high school and. Um, I, I mean, I'm I'm from like the smallest town of uh, of Newfoundland. Like it's like a town of like 700 people. Are you uh, really? I knew you were from Canada. I didn't know you what? were from there. No, yeah. Uh, I, I, I found out about that from the "Protest the Hero" song, and then come to find out, I got a <laughs> bunch of people that I'm friends with that live there that I, I talk to all the time online. And uh, I just I want to go to the bar that they recorded that song on one of these days. Like I'm gonna make a trip up there to visit <laughs> it, all of you. I, like it's all it's seven a, of you that live there. So, so, so that's, that's the thing. I'm not, I don't live there now, but like that's, that's where I grew up. Like, so, but I, it, the, the, the framing I was trying to give you there was like the high school that I, I went to, 
like, I had a class of like seven people in in the French class, and I remember days where we like our French class would be watching a Disney movie with French subtitles on, or sorry, with the French language track on, and then we'd turn on the English subtitles. And then we'd flip it so we'd watch with the English track and the French subtitles, and that's how we would do our French class. Uh, very little, very little French was actually learned there. So, like, I mean, I can understand a little peck of it. Like, I, I can piece my way through a conversation if I'm under pressure and I need to, but I don't really speak uh, multiple languages. No, uh, I kind of, I, I really should. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm living in Ottawa, Ontario now, so the capital of Canada. It's not the most bilingual city in Canada by any stretch, but. It like French would be an asset for where I live, so uh, I just I asked because I found that, um, and maybe this is just the people I'm friends with. Maybe this is not a scientific thing, but a lot of people I know that are just naturally pick up software programming are people that speak multiple languages. It's because the way your brain is wired to visualize things and hear them two different ways. So, uh, you know, maybe that's a coincidence. Maybe I just know a bunch of really smart people that'd be good at anything they put their minds to. But, uh, you know, I just, that was one of the things I always kind of wondered. Yeah. Well, I, I think part of it too is like, I do a little bit of other software engineering. Like I, I, I my day job is a, I'm a hardware engineer for a company that I won't name the name of just to keep my work life and my, my, yeah. my home life and my, my, my hobbies separate. But like I do hardware design work, uh, and um, occasionally I do have to interface with the software side of things and write my own code and, and try to debug other people's code. Um, I, I I'm I can never say that I could write anything from scratch that would be up to snuff for any professional environment. But again, I know enough to be dangerous, right? I, in the sense that I can do enough to to work my way through a problem if I need to. And that's kind of how I've approached all like the ROM hacking work I've had to do. I've had a problem in front of me. I know what I want the solution to look like. I know the solution is possible. How do I get there? And it's usually yeah. a, it's usually a lot of uh, fumbling around in the dark before I <laughs> actually get anything that works. But knowing what questions to ask are always the hardest part to get to the solution to a problem. Yeah, you know, it's like if, if anything that you do for the first time, it's like, I, I don't even know what I need to do. Like, yeah. I, how do I even get to the end? What is the end? Yeah. Like, like, so, Yeah, like, coming to any problem like this from the very beginning, often you don't know how much you don't know. Yeah. And that's, that's an obstacle that you have to overcome. Yeah, and I mean, just to circle back to what we talked about before, I mean, that's why... That's why I really care about what people are working on now, because when you walk into a new project, like when I started RetroRGB, it started as a Google Doc, and I got about 30 pages in, and I was like, okay, I think I know everything there is to know about wiring <laughs> RGB on consoles. And like, I just, I if I had stopped there, I might have been that arrogant that I was like, I cracked it. And then, but I listened, I listened to feedback, I listened to other people. And that's what I, I had just gotten to the point to realize that I didn't know shit. Like I, I knew just, I just figured out enough to know that I didn't know a goddamn thing. So it's like, I, that's why I always have sympathy going in to, to these things, talking to other people about it. Cause it's like, if you read the first year of retro RGB, I got a ton right and a ton wrong too. And it's just so I, you know, if anybody ever judged me like that thing you did 10 years ago was inaccurate. Like, I don't, like, I don't want people to do that to me. And that's why I don't want to do it to other people. So, well, and, and like, I have the same, like, like, I, like, in the same idea in the same vein like i'm i'm sure there's work that i've done either in the past or i'm, I'm fixed like I, I i have to work with new hardware and new games 
that I'm not familiar with all the time. Like I, I, my most recent recording project was a PC 98 game. I have never touched that hardware prior to, to buying this. I didn't even know what one was until Audi told me his screen name. Yeah, that was about it. (laughs) So I I worked on a recording for that and I've never touched that. I've never touched an emulator. I've never played any of the games. Like I, I know roughly what the music is supposed to sound like. I know what the hardware is supposed to be capable of. I don't know jack shit about this thing. So like, I, I'm I'm sure there's like a possibility just using that as an example like for, for a mistake or an error to creep in and that's where I kind of have to rely on other people to kind of verify and vet and check my work so like this is something that I always try to do myself where possible but other, like I'll, I'll hand it off to people who are either familiar with the music familiar with the game who can kind of like vet my work and make sure yeah this sounds right oh you, you should probably uh, this should have faded out 20 seconds afterwards because the loop point is actually later, like all this kind of stuff. So like I do try to prevent that kind of mistake from creeping. Cause I know I'm not, I know the work that I do is not perfect. And I've actually had my, my ass kind of saved by a handful of people on a handful of projects where I've, I've made an error, didn't catch it myself and then pass it around for feedback and said, Oh, this could be better. So. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, taking feedback is just, you know, everybody's got to learn to do it. It's just, yeah. it's just one of those things where, do you want to get better? Well, yeah. I guess that's the best. So the fact that you're willing to just listen to people and move forward—I mean, that's what I rely on. I love when people give yeah. me good feedback. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think it's important to incorporate that as part of your process when doing anything like this, where you're you're making something that is meant to be enjoyed and used as a resource for other people. Like, like you should solicit feedback. You should ask for that feedback. You should invite that feedback because it makes the end result. It, it's never going to make it worse. Might take a yeah. little longer. Might take a little longer to get to the finished product, but it's going to be better as a result. And I'm always fascinated at what certain people have to say because you know, excluding attention seekers, like one of the ones that I just I guess it's coming to my coming to mind because we're talking about music. But one of the ones that kind of blew my mind was the same guy, my friend John, who you know who's friends with the Cockney Rejects. He came over one time when i was recording the album just in my house and i was he was like hey you know could i be there when you record a song and i'm like yeah but dude this is really boring like it's not <laughs> like you see in the movies he's like no, no i love this stuff he's like can i help i was like i mean you could hit record and play if you want but like it's i'm telling you if you're bored to death don't feel bad just leave and i'm recording and like i'm kind of sitting down showing him how to do things and i recorded a couple takes and i was like oh, i'm getting cramped let me stand up I did a couple of takes and he goes, Hey, can I, can I just tell you something? I'm like, yeah. He goes, I don't know. Like he, he, I forgot what he said. It was, he was basically just being, making sure that he was being polite. And he's like, but you sounded so much better when you were standing up. Like, really? He's <laughs> like, yeah, it, it just, the way the notes were hit, like it sounded more aggressive when it was supposed to be. It sounded lighter when it was supposed to be. I was like, that was, I would have, never in a million years guess now of course if you go into yoga and you learn all that stuff you do learn that your body does different things in different positions so scientifically that actually makes perfect sense but no one had ever said that i was yeah. like shit you know that's right like i only sit down when i record every other bit of practicing i do when i'm jumping up on stage like a moron i'm standing like it yeah. just i would have never known if i didn't just take the time to listen to feedback so. yeah it, it takes someone who's there early in the process to be able to give you that feedback. Because if you, if you give that recording 
if you had made that recording and sent it off to a friend for feedback and he hadn't actually been involved in the early stages, they would not have been able to identify right. <laughs> the difference there, right? So Yeah, I mean, I mean you just made another good point. Don't wait to the end. You exactly. Know? It, yeah. If somebody was like, oh, great album, you should have stood. I'd be like, well, fuck you, buddy. <laughs> should have told me that six months ago when we started. Like, you know, so yeah, uh, excellent I, point. The, the, the next time I get, like, the guitarist for the band sends me any takes, I'll just ask him, were you standing when you recorded this one? <laughs> well, I mean, if he's somebody trained in the classical position, he would have been sitting the whole time he's been learning and playing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's right. It's, it's what you're what you're used to, what your body has developed, like, over the time of practicing and playing on stage and stuff like that. So, yeah, like, I, I get it. It's, it's not a universal thing that guitarists sound better when they're standing, but... <laughs> It, uh, it'll be a fun joke in our band chat for a while. That's what it will oh, be. Oh, <laughs> do it. Yeah, I do. I'm a, I just, I play caveman metal. Just, you know, large, heavy thing. I mean, I play the way I look, just a large, loud person. <laughs> so it's totally, I love it. The only other person I know that plays, I mean, uh, Jesper Stromblad from Inflames. That's kind of h- half of my sound. Uh, but my friend AJ, who's the guitarist in Answer Infinity, another not small in- individual that plays kind of like I do, loves rhythm the way I do. Well, like it's yeah, it's a uh, kind of an interesting thing just to to meet other weird metalheads. But love it. <laughs> um, so where can people find you, and where can people find your band? All right, and so and my- the other music that you have released. Okay, so. Uh- there isn't really a convenient spot to find like the soundtrack work that I've done uh, because it's kind of been spread out over a handful of different labels. Uh, what what is available is generally can be found on shiptoshoremedia.com, um, and the one release I've done for Streaming Arrow Records can be found at streamingarrowrecords.com. If you want to do like a, a, a kind of like a, a general list of what I've done, there's actually a VGMDB listing for me that has nice. I'll link all to that of, definitely. Yeah. Uh, it has, yeah. It, it, the link is kind of too cumbersome to actually read out, but uh, yeah. it, <laughs> it, Most it, are. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it has like a, a pretty good, like pretty thorough listing of all the like the the work I've done as an artist, as the musician, as well as the the soundtrack work that I've been credited for so far. Uh, as for my or the music that my band does, uh, martialart.band. Now I have to clarify: it's Marshall as in like the Marshall amplifier, so M A R S H A L L. A-R-T, dot band. Uh, that will bring you to our Bandcamp page. That's the quickest and easiest place to find all of our music. Now, most of it is available on any other like streaming platform or service that you'd find. Uh, but Bandcamp is the way that I would recommend checking us out. Uh, and in terms of like our, our most recent output, like we've done two albums in the past two or three years where we've actually prepared full length performance videos, all, you know, filmed in our homes and in our basements that we've cut together, edited and, and put together basically a video performance album to go nice. along with. Yeah. Uh, so we've done a, an album of video game covers like that and an album of our original material that's all available on YouTube, all available for, for free to watch. We're super proud of it <laughs> for, for uh, a, a band that, doesn't get to play live and I, we really didn't get to play live during like COVID isolation. This was like a great way of getting our one or two shows a year that we would normally do kind of like out of our system <laughs> recorded. But we, we, we did these albums kind of basically like the same way we would do a live show. Like we, like when we were normally recording work, we would you know, overdub the crap out of everything, right? Like layers mm. upon layers of guitars, but this was kind of stripped down into, okay, what can you re reproduce live? Let's do that for an album. Let's do this for a video. So yeah. Uh, 
So yeah, you can find all of that on our YouTube channel, which is uh, youtube.com slash martial art band. Um, and we're on all of the social media pages, all the normal sites that will that exist, uh, usually as martial art band. Um, we'll see which social media sites exist when this recording goes up. <laughs> because Fair enough. <laughs> we, know, we know a certain one of them is uh, kind of uh, teetering. Right now. Yeah. teetering. It'll be there, but <laughs> in some form or another, yeah. And I'll, I'll obviously leave links to all of your social media and everything as well. So um, I would absolutely love to do a follow-up at some point to talk about the work that you're under NDA for. And also yeah. for when I go back and edit this and I realized I forgot to ask you the hundred questions I thought about at the beginning <laughs> of this. Yeah, so there's, there's uh, a, let's just a million one up. topics that we can talk about. Hell yeah. Let's follow up after some of the releases that you we are currently working on get out there and we'll just kind of go from there. But thank you so much for your time, Jeff. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure talking with you, man. It's been really fun too. Like I said, I, like this conversation has taken so many turns and twists and tangents that I would not have expected from the beginning of this. And I love it. This has been really <laughs> Me fun. Too. So, so thank you thank so much. Thank you very Bob. much. Later.